2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. For those who have been here through the whole series, we are on lesson 9, sermon number 9 in 2 Thessalonians. When I first started, I thought it would be about 5 or 6 weeks, but ended up going a little bit long because you guys don't listen fast enough. That's the problem. If you guys would listen a little faster, we could get through it a little quicker. But uh, nonetheless, 9 messages, and uh, we started in the very beginning with a promise, a promise to get our eyes up to Jesus, right? To look unto Jesus. We prayed, we asked God that through this life, as we are waiting for the arrival of Christ, as we go through these hard times, we go through the end of the times, and as we go through all these things that we're going through, we must get our eyes up and look unto Jesus. And so that was our goal. That's the series, Journey that we wanted to take, and uh, we want to get our eyes on Christ. Now, we spent several weeks breaking down all of chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. We ended with Paul uh, using it to comfort or to instruct them about how to live in the midst of the last days or in the midst of what they thought were the last days as well. Uh, but nonetheless, they were discouraged, and so he was trying to instruct them on how to do it. And as he was doing that, um, he gets interrupted by a chapter, right? We believe the Bible is inerrant. That means without error. In its original text, there are no, error, no errors in God's writing. We believe that it's uh, also infallible, meaning that it will do exactly uh, what God wants it to do. It will never fail. It never expi expires. We believe it is inspired, uh, we believe as God breathed, the scriptures were, were written, but the chapters and the verses were not part of that inspiration, all right? So the chapters and verses you see in the Bible are, were added by editors later on. And sometimes in the midst of a truth or the midst of a thought, you ever had someone interrupt you when you're telling a story and you're like, wait a minute, I wasn't done yet. Let me finish my story. And then you can tell me my story, especially one-uppers. That's why I love one-uppers, right? You tell a story, and uh, the first liar don't have a chance, right? Next thing you know, it's a whopper of a story, right? Brian does this with fishing all the time. He tells me about his fishing he catches. I'm just... <laughs> he, he, this, is what, this is what happens. Right in the midst of Paul's thought, right in the midst of his pleading, comes chapter 3. And so this morning, I want to go back and finish out a little bit what we were talking about last week, but I want to finish out Paul's uh, admonition here, Paul's encouragement. And by the way, was last week not awesome or what? I mean, Miss Jessie got to share a testimony. She's back there on the back row. I know she's smiling. She's still smiling. Look at her. But uh, it's one thing to share a testimony about how you've come through something and the victory you have, but it's another thing to share it in the midst of your journey. And so I just really appreciate her testimony. If you did not get a chance to hear it, uh, you can go on your YouTube channel. You can watch it. Miss Jess, I think it was 270 views already of your testimony. So not only what you say here, but also for those that uh, I, I love to encourage that. But last week, from her testimony to the scriptures that we were uh, that we uh, were, that we, we we learned from the songs, they were all congruent. They were all about one thing: about the message of God, being encouraged, living a life regardless of what circumstance you find yourself in. And you know, only the Holy Spirit could do that. God is so good, and God uh, always leads us and guides us. And this morning, as we piggyback to that on Second Thessalonians, here Paul is bringing him back to ground zero. Sometimes we get splintered in our thoughts. Sometimes we need to go back to the basics. Sometimes we just get off track. And so Paul is 
instructing them to get back on track, to hit the reset button, so to speak. And this morning, we're going to have that opportunity as well. As we finish out Paul's thought, I want to encourage you to hit the reset button. The reset button in that some of us walk in here every morning or every Sunday morning with a heart that's in a thousand different directions. Or possibly your heart may be a thousand miles away from God, so to speak. Or possibly your heart has been pulled in so many different directions. Some your fault and some others' faults. But nonetheless, your heart is drifted from the Lord. Your heart has drifted from the main thing. Your heart has become sort of cold or cool to the things of God. This week as I was studying my quiet time, one little phrase hit me. Dr. David Jeremiah used it. He, he spoke that says, the Bible uses a term called a calloused heart. And that, that, that really struck my attention because I got thinking about a calloused heart. Do you know what a callous is? A callous uh, can be found on your hands, your feet, your knuckles, uh, basically anywhere that's exposed to difficult or hard thing or something that brings pain. And what your body does over a period of time is it builds up layer after layer after layer of dead skin and it protects you from feeling anything. From feeling any pain or feeling any sort of, of, of sensation. And, and, and you know, the only way that you can get rid of those calluses is to start peeling those layers back. And, and so if we talk about a calloused heart towards the things of God, that's when we layer our heart with things of this world. We layer our heart with worry. We layer our heart with, uh, with, with disdain or anger. We layer our heart with just fear. And it begins, to, it begins to prevent us from feeling or uh, responding to the things of God. When we hear God's word, it doesn't quite hit the way it should hit. When we sing, God's, uh, sing of God's goodness, our heart is not quite moved. Or when we see God's provision and protection in our life, we kind of just take it for granted. But what, what Paul is telling them is I want you to really hit the reset button. You, you have thought that God has abandoned you. You have thought that you were left here behind. You thought that God has no plan for you. But I want you to really consider these things. And last week, we talked about three things. Paul shared with them that, remember, you are not the foundation of your salvation. God was the foundation of your salvation. And it is not you holding on to God, but it is God holding on to you. So no matter where you are in life, you realize that God is the source of your salvation. You are not saved by your performance. You are saved by God's promise. And he has, he Paul was trying to encourage them, listen, this God who loved you when you were unlovable, this God who did something for you when you did nothing for him, he's the foundation of your salvation. And then secondly, he reminded them to stand fast. He told them, don't fall down on the job, don't relax, don't slip the responsibility to stand up for the things of God. Don't take it laying down, don't, don't, shrug, don't shrug the responsibility, but trust in the Lord and also hold on to the truth. Like, take a stand to what you believe in, have some conviction. Pastor Lindsay used to say, have a backbone, right? He'd always say, uh, it's a backbone, it, it takes a backbone to swim upstream, right? It takes a backbone to stand for the Lord. Then thirdly, Paul says that, know that God is for us, 
not against us. Those were the three things. And so he begins to continue that process in chapter 3. He begins to pray, but while he's praying, he also directs their hearts and exhorts them how to live. So let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to read verses 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. So when you first look, you begin to break this down, you realize that Paul is asking them to pray. Pray for them that the gospel goes swiftly. That Paul can get the gospel to as many people as possible as fast as he could with just as it was with them or how he shared it with them. Then he says that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. He says, not all have faith. And boy, do we ever realize that in the world we live in today, right? Not all are Christians. Not all have the faith. And many times when we look to this world, we get discouraged because we realize that not everyone is on God's side or not everyone is on your side. But we must remember that. And Paul is saying that these unreasonable and wicked men are persecuting me and those who are with me and we must be delivered. Pray that God delivers us. Then he shares three truths with them and also three truths that I want to share with you this morning about how to live out or how to be encouraged in these last days. First, he shares with them that through trials and tribulations and sufferings that we will have trials and tribulations and sufferings, but the Lord is faithful. Listen, in our culture of comfort and ease, right? We want things to be as easy as possible. I mean, we have microwaves, right? We have drive throughs We have DoorDash. We have all, like, we want comfort and we want ease. And we want the Christian life to be the same way, right? We want our Christianity to be as easy as possible. I want front row parking. I want front row seats. No, I guess you don't want front row seats. Anyway, you want back row seats, right? right. You want back row seats. You want, you want your spot. You want your stuff. We want it as easy as possible. One Christian said, I don't mind pain and suffering at all. I just don't want to be around when it happens, right? That's the way some of us are. We, we want to serve the Lord, but we don't, we're not signing up for pain and suffering. And there's no doubt a market for that kind of teachings. If you were to look at the top 10 Christian books, uh, the majority of them are casually comfort Christianity. That's what it's all about. But, but the Bible teaches something different. God's plan is not always the easiest. It's not always the softest. It's not always the one that requires no sacrifice. In fact, it's usually the opposite. Now I know this message doesn't sell a lot of books. It doesn't fill a lot of pews, but it's the truth. Anyone who reads the Bible can clearly understand that Christians will have trials, troubles, and sufferings. That's just the way that it is. And in fact, Jesus had trials, troubles, and sufferings as well. And he told his disciples many, many times, and just two examples of it in John chapter 16, verse 33, he tells his disciples, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. 
He says you will have. There is no doubt about it. You will have tribulation. That means a tumultuous or tribulation like uh, you will have shakings uh, of your life. There will be these tough times that will come. John 15, 18, he also says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So not only are we not liked by the world, we're going to have tough times in the world. We're going to have tribulations in the world. And the promise is not that you will never have trials or sufferings. A lot of times when we quote Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good. We misquote that by saying, we know that all things are good, right? All things are not good. There are, there are times when you're going to go through suffering and trials, and they are not good. That is not the promise. But the promise is the Lord is faithful. The Lord is, is faithful because he will work them together for good. That in the midst of those trials and tribulations, he will establish you. Paul says right here, he will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And what he's saying here is that there is a real enemy out there. And through trials and tribulations and through uh, waiting on the Lord, through disappointment, through fear, the evil one comes in to try to overcome us. And what he's saying is through that process, you can trust in the Lord because he is faithful. So many times we pray for God's deliverance, right? Oh God, I'm in a hard place. Take me out of this. But what Paul is saying here is not that he will take you out of this. He will establish you and guard you through it. He will guard you through the trials and tribulations. And the Lord is with you through it all. Not that he abandons you or he leaves you, but he is with you through the whole thing. And no matter what happens or what is happening, God is faithful. God is on your side. God is there for you. Have you found the Lord to be faithful in your life? Have you found the Lord that there are times that when you know you have missed the mark? Many times in my life, I feel like a sitting duck for the devil, right? I mean, I fall for his traps. And many times there, are, I realize I'm no match for the devil. Listen, I hear people say this all the time. Well, when I get a hold of the devil, I'm going to whip him or I'm going to go whip that devil. And you're going to come back with some pump nuts on your head. That's what's going to happen to you, all right? Because you ain't going to whip the devil. We're no match for the evil one. But let me tell you, the victory is in the Lord. That's where the victory is. We can face the evil one only through the power of God. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, in my own strength, I am nothing, but the Lord is faithful. In the midst of my worst day, God is there. And the good news is, we are no match for the evil one, but the evil one is no match for God. He's no match for God. And he will guard us, he will protect us, he will guide us, and in the midst of it all, we can trust in his power, and we can trust in his deliverance, not out of the trials and tribulations, but through the trials and tribulations. I told this story many times, but many of you don't listen to what I say anyway, so you only listen to about 20% of what I say. But when we were boys, my brother and I would like to box sometimes, more him than me. You know why? Because he was three years older than me. And so when I was younger... He had quite the advantage, and he loved to box my ears up. That's what he loved to do. And so he'd always start off in our room, and he would close the door, and I knew I was in trouble when he would do that, right? And boy, he would tear me up, man. He would beat me down, and sure enough, I'd start crying. And I knew if I cried loud enough and I screamed loud enough, my dad would come through the door like every dad does, bursting in like he-man, like, what is going on in here, you know? 
and I would say, oh, he's, he's beating me up, you know, and he's, he's, he's boxing me, and I don't want to fight no more. And so my dad would pick me up, and he'd take my arms and my hands, and he'd get behind me, and he'd start throwing the punches for me, you know what I mean, using my hands. And he would, he would hit him with a jab, and he'd hit him with a hook. And, man, I felt like Mike Tyson. I, I was tearing him up, you know. And I loved it until my dad left the room. <laughs> then, it, then it was worse before, after, than before. But what I realized in that is a simple illustration of what I'm saying is that within our own power, we are nothing against the devil. Listen, through trials and tribulations, you don't have a chance. But the Lord is faithful. If you trust in his power, God will be faithful to deliver you in the midst of your trials. He will be there for you. He will be with you. He will guard you. He will establish you. He will never let you down. He will never let you down. Listen, some of you walk, walk through some dark, dark days. And listen, as we get closer to the coming of Christ, it will get darker. We think we've seen the end. It's not, the end's not here yet. It's going to get worse. It's going to get more troubling. It's going to have more trials. But we must remember God is faithful. He will come through every time. He will be faithful every time. And he will guard you and protect you through every storm and every attack from the evil one. Paul is saying, set the groundwork to know the Lord is with you. He will be with you through all trials and tribulations. Secondly, he tells them that the Lord will direct your hearts into the love of God. You know, we need direction in our life because we wander. We don't stay on straight paths. We like to zigzag, right? And listen, our, the direction of our lives many times is not God's best. And we like to wander off the path. And the greatest temptation when we're going through sufferings and trials is to think that God does not love us. That's the number one lie from the evil one. He begins to work on our minds and our hearts. And he begins to try to poison our hearts. He begins to try to poison our faith, and he begins to poison our thoughts. And he knows if we, he can get us to think it, he can get us to believe it, that God does not love you. If God loves you, why is he letting you suffer? If God loves you, why has he not healed you? If God loves you, why does he allow your marriage to struggle? If God loves you, why are you struggling in your finances? If God loves you, why does he not make a better way for you on your, in your job? And, and, and what happens is we begin to doubt God's love for our life. And when we begin to doubt God's love, we lose our direction. And what Paul is telling him here, you need to pray that God directs your heart into God's love to trust him more, not less. Listen, in trials and tribulations is a time to trust God more, not less. We've got to trust in Him more, and it's trusting Him more in the dark than we ever did in the light. Listen, in a marriage, this is vitally important. In a marriage, when you are married as husband and wife, when, the, when you begin to doubt love for one another, and you begin to doubt their trust and their love, it's headed for a disastrous path, right? I mean, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no, there's no unity, and all of a sudden, things become miserable because you're always questioning the love, which is the foundation of your marriage. And you, you, begin to, you begin to realize that. And if you're not careful, you don't communicate that in your marriage. All of a sudden, it begins to eat away at it. and you become, you become cold to one another. You lose or you walk away from that love. Same is true with our relationship with the Lord. 
When we, when we, when we need God's guidance to, through difficult times to, so that we can trust in God's love for us. More, not less. And no matter where we are in the conditions of our life, we must know that God loves us. He has the best for us. He, he, has, he, has, he knows for us. And when we doubt that, it becomes miserable. You have no peace. You have no joy. You have no zeal for the Lord anymore. And that's why we must allow the Lord to direct our hearts into his love. Maybe you're walking through something really hard right now. Have you started to doubt God's love for you? Have you begun to believe the lie that God doesn't love you? And maybe it's something physically or maybe something financially. And recently, all of a sudden, you begin to think, well, does God really even love me? And maybe even this morning, you're asking yourself, does God really even care about me? Does he even know where I am? Does he even love me anymore? Because if I'm going through such a hard time, why would he allow me to do this? Listen, more than anything else, you must know that God loves you. Listen, in my life, I've said this before last week, when I, when I quoted John 3.16 and I realized that I could put my name in that verse for God so loved Ted, it changed my heart. It changed my heart because I know God loves me not based on my performance. God loves me not based on my circumstances. God loves me not if it's good times or bad times. I know that God is faithful and he loves me, period. He loves me unconditionally. He loves me. Listen, I think the book of Romans chapter 8, I've already shared one verse from 828. But it's one of the most wonderful chapters in the Bible. If you're ever struggling or you never, you, never, you ever need to really read something that will encourage your heart, read Romans chapter 8. But as he closes this chapter, he gives this exhortation. It's an exhortation you probably heard before. But I want to share it with you because it talks about the love of God. And it talks about how powerful the love of God really is. So Romans chapter 8 verses 35 through 39 says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm telling you, when you read that, understand that, that's a powerful truth in your life. And you realize in your life, even though you suffer, even though you go through tribulations, that never, that never lessens God's love for you. And you must realize that. You must let your hearts direct your, your hearts in the, in the path of God's love for your heart. And so Paul is just encouraging us to, to love God and to keep it in his direction, not only, not only through the love of Christ, but he also adds another thing, the patience of Christ. So direct it into the love and then also direct it into the patience of Christ. Learning to wait on the Lord and having patience. Not impatiently waiting, but patiently waiting on the Lord. I suppose this is probably the second biggest lie the enemy tells us when we begin to suffer. Or we begin to go through a hard time in our life. Not only does God not love you, but then he begins to say, it's always going to be this way. 
You're never going to be a good husband. You're never going to be a good wife. You're never going to be a good parent. You're never going to be well again. You're never going to be financially stable. You're never going to be forgiven. You're always going to be guilty. And what happens is you begin to hear this over and over and over again in the midst of a trial. And you begin to think God has left you. God will not deliver because you have been praying for years. And you still are experiencing these things. And you think that God has abandoned you and that God has put you aside and we begin to lose heart and what Paul is saying even in the midst of that you must direct your heart into God's love and into the patience of Christ you know we're not very patient people I know I'm not a very patient person as well and I suppose in life you realize how fast it goes by right I was talking to the, them in the early service, and I was realizing that in my life, I realized, like I said, the, the older I get, the faster it goes, you know? And I remember a pastor, Jerry Vines, used to share this all the time. He would say, you know, some of you are out there in your terrific 20s, right? Think about the terrific 20s, how all the 20-year-olds are smiling right now, right? The terrific 20s. And, and you're just full of life, and you're full of going and getting this and, and setting the path for your life. And then he says you get to the tiresome 30s. Like, like you are trying and you're going and you're, you're beginning to slow down, but you just keep trying and trying and trying. You're raising children. You're going to football games and basketball games. You're going to you know, all these different shows for your kids and you're raising your kids. And you think, it's never going to change. You know, I just keep on doing the same thing over and over and over. It's just tiresome. And then you get to your fleeting 40s, right? All of a sudden, you begin to think, I'm that old person. You know what I mean? Like, I'm heading to a path. And next thing you know, you're turning 40. Next thing you know, the failing 50s come, right? Do you realize when you're 50 years old that you have lost 50% of your muscle density in your body? I know I don't look like that. But anyway, some of you guys do. I tell them I got chest drawers disease. My chest is almost to my drawers. But anyway, so it's called <laughs> failing 50s, right? And not long after failing 50s is sagging 60s, right? You got the sagging 60s. Then you got the sorry 70s and the aching 80s, right? But anyways, you realize how fast life goes. It just like, in the midst of it is, it seems like it takes forever, but really, it's happening fast. And it happens in a way that comes so fast. And what happens is, many times we get in the midst of these struggles and we think, my life is never going to change. It's always going to be this way. And it's never going to change in my life. But listen, we got to learn how to wait on the Lord. So He may not come today. He may not come tomorrow. Your deliverance may not be for another week or year or whatever. But know that God never gives up on you and that he's never going to uh, leave you alone. And you never are by yourself. And he's always on time. And we got to learn how to wait on the Lord. Patiently wait on the Lord. When we wait on the Lord like we should be, the promise of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 is, is ours. It says this, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Listen, when we learn how to wait on the Lord, there's a renewing in our strength like nothing ever before. Listen, in the midst of your storm, you will get up every day and you'll have a strength that doesn't come from you. It's a strength that comes from the Lord when you trust in the Lord because you are fully surrendered to Him. Listen, you got to get to a point in your life when you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, my life is yours. 
This day is yours. Everything I have is yours. And I'm asking you to renew my strength. You know, in my life, this verse took a whole new meaning. Because several years ago, I got sick to the point that I couldn't get up anymore. Up until that point, I had never went a day where I couldn't get out of bed and go, do, and go work and go do what I needed to do. Never. Not one day. Not one day had I ever been to a point where I could not get up and do something or do what I wanted to do. But that day came. And that day came and flat on my back before God, I fully surrendered to the Lord and said, God, only you can renew my strength. That only you can do something for me that my family can't do for me. Only you can do something for me that my finances can't do for me. Only you can do something for me that my work ethic can't do for me. Only you can do something, Lord. I am fully surrendered to you. Some of you remember after I had went through that uh, little health problem and was out from preaching for four or five weeks. When I came back, I preached a sermon series through the book of Jonah. And through the book of Jonah, I share with you one question. Are you fully surrendered to the Lord. I'm not talking about one day or a week or 12 hours your day or 24 hours every once in a while. I'm talking about fully surrendered. Have you given God everything? And when you get to that point, what you realize is there is a strength that comes from the Lord that you can get nowhere else. And the promise is if we wait on the Lord when you don't think you can take one more step, he gives you strength. And he says, you will mount up with the wings like eagles. You ever watch an eagle, uh, an eagle soar? I mean, you see an eagle, you can tell the difference between an eagle and a buzzard. You know how you tell the difference between an eagle and a buzzard? The difference between an eagle and a buzzard. A buzzard you can see. An eagle flies higher than the buzzard, right? And he's way up there in the sky. He's flying over all those things and he's looking down upon everything. He's not tangled up with things on this earth or things on the ground. And I think the scripture speaks to that. He's saying, you shall live for God and his purposes and you shall mount up like eagle's wings. You shall fly through this world and regardless of what you see on the news. Regardless of whatever gender they have today, regardless of whatever trouble they have for your child, whatever, whatever pain you're going through or whatever health crisis you have, you can live for the Lord and you can mount up like wings and you shall run and not be weary. You shall walk and not faint. That's the promise. That's what Paul is telling them. You think you are to the end, but let me tell you, when you get to the end, you trust in the Lord. You put your faith in him and he will renew your strength. He will let you mount up like eagles wings and you will not become weary. And listen, whatever you're going through, can I tell you this morning, it won't last forever. You won't last. It won't last forever. You will not wait forever. You are waiting on the Lord. And until that day, the Lord will be faithful to deliver you from whatever it is. And until then, you must patiently wait on the Lord. Guide our hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. When I first started, I asked you a question to consider your heart. I asked you, do you have a calloused heart? And maybe you didn't even realize it. Maybe trials or tribulations or maybe hard circumstances or somebody's let you down that's kind of layered your heart. But the question is, how long has it been since your heart has been moved by the Spirit of God? How long has it been since your heart has really had its hope in the Lord? 
Because that's what Paul is trying to exhort them. That's where Paul is trying to get them to. They put all their faith and trust in the returning of the Lord, the second coming of Christ. And when it didn't happen on their timetable, they were, they were devastated. They were totally let down. And something in your life, maybe you thought God was always going to do this, or maybe something fell apart that you thought God was doing in your life, and all of a sudden you begin to build calluses around your heart. And all of a sudden, you're not encouraged by God's word. You're not praying with power anymore. You're not, you're not winning the battle, so to speak, of life. Now listen, I pray this morning, you'll open your heart. You'll let the love of God flood over your soul. If you're here, I'll, as we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning. I want you to just be able to understand the love that God really had for you. So when we take the Lord's Supper, the, the bread is literally the broken body of Christ. The blood was the sacrifice that Christ was willing to pay, the blood that he shed on the cross. And it says that God demonstrated his love toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as we think about that kind of love, I pray that it just floods your heart this morning in a new way, in a, in, in a way that moves your heart. And maybe you're here this morning, you've been waiting on the Lord. I pray your heart's encouraged. I pray that your strength is renewed. I pray that you will mount up like eagle, eagle wings, that you will, you will fly above the things that are dragging you down. And so during our time of commitment invitation this morning, I want to combine it with the Lord's Supper. And, and here's what the invitation is. If you are a Christian, you can participate in this ordination. You don't have to be a member of this church. You just have to be a member of the family of God. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, then you can participate. If you want to trust in Jesus Christ, and you can, be, you can participate as well, this will be the greatest Lord's Supper you will ever take. You know why? Because as you do that, you can proclaim God's forgiveness and love for your life, and you can trust in what, you are actually, uh, what you're actually doing with the Lord's Supper. You can believe on Christ. And maybe if you're here, you don't want to participate and maybe you you're, have a child with you, you don't feel like their heart's prepared, just let the plates pass you by. You don't have to worry about it, no pressure. But we're going to close, and we're going to pass out both these elements. As we pass out one piece of bread and one of the cup, I want you to take each one of them. One will come, the other one will come. But while you pray, I want, I, while you wait, I want you to pray. I want you to talk to God. I want you to lift your heart to the Lord. I want you to ask God to reset your heart. I want you to ask God to set your heart on fire for him again. I want you to ask God to remove the layers of the calluses of my heart that I might feel this, uh, this, come, this spirit of the Lord again. And as we consider these elements, like I said, the body, uh, the bread representing the body and the blood uh, of uh, the bread, I mean the, the juice, the blood of Christ, I want you to give thanks I want you to petition the Lord. I want you to move your heart towards the Lord this morning. And as we pass these out, everyone gets one that wants one. Hold on to it. Pray. And then at the end, uh, after it's all passed out, after three or four minutes, uh, we'll all take the elements together and I'll help you instruct how to do that. And so that's what we'll do this morning. So I want to start praying. You start praying. And we're going to start passing out.